Good morning. Just want you to know, I haven't been outside since six this morning, but I'm assuming it's terrible, so gold stars for all of you. A couple years ago, uh, Bethany and I were looking for a double stroller because we had had more than one kid and taping the one to the top of the other one was starting to get us judgy looks. Like, fine. So we go to Babies R Us because we figure what better place. I mean, uh, they're all about babies. They're, they, they are babies, right? But great place to go. We go, we look around. And I don't mind asking for help and asking for, for people's advice. And so we call over a, a sales associate. We're like, hey, can you help us out? We're looking for a double stroller. You know, what, asking questions. What's better? Is this better? What's this mean? What about this? And so he starts to kind of like look at kind of the tags and kind of look, he gets quiet and like, oh, you know, this one does this. And, you know, he looks at another one. This one does this. If you've never looked for a stroller before or if you haven't looked for a stroller in the last five years, then you should know. Then there's a lot of things you can get. You can get a stroller for the down payment on a house. <laughs> and there's lots of options, right? Because it's like a Bluetooth, now with Bluetooth connectivity. I don't even know why I need that, but it's awesome. And now I feel like I do. So he's reading this stuff to us, and I realize that what he's doing is he's reading the tags. He's just reading the tags. And I'm thinking, well, dude, I can do that. I mean, I, I, I got the reading part down. Uh, and I asked him, like, do you, know, do you know about this? And he's got to walk over there. It's like, oh, my goodness, he doesn't really know anything about this stuff. He's just reading the information that says right there. And so then we ask him, okay, well, what about you? Like, have, any, have you used any strollers that you like? He's like, oh, no, I don't use a stroller. I don't have any kids. So it's like, okay. So you have no real specialty knowledge about this. And also, do you, like, do you feel like saying, do you know what a stroller is? It wasn't super helpful. So we're trying to think, all right, how can we let this guy leave so that we can look on our own? Because we're more willing to listen to people when they know what they're talking about, right? If there was a world-class expert on strollers, I'm like, I'm all ears, man. Fill me in. But we're also more willing to listen to people whose experiences match up to, with what they say. And for this guy, sadly, it wasn't either of those. But as we wrap up our series, Welcome to God, we're going to look at the question, how to share Jesus with others. And those ideas, I mean, that, that serves the foundation. The idea that we're more willing to listen to people who know what they're talking about and whose experiences match up to what they say. That, that's the basis of how we begin to share Jesus. We're going to look at John 9. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's in John chapter 9. If you brought a Bible, you can turn there. And we're going to walk through that story. Jesus is doing his thing. He's walking along, and they see this guy who had been blind from birth. And he's sitting by the side of the road, and that's how he'd make his, his income. He'd beg and, and panhandle, and, and, and he existed on the sort of the kindness of strangers. And it's important they want us to know that John wants us to know he's blind from birth. He didn't, there wasn't an accident. He, he has never seen. And the disciples asked Jesus a question, you know, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because there was a belief at the time that this kind of physical infirmity that was born, someone sinned, someone that God is punishing them in some way. And Jesus says, it's a fascinating answer. He says, it's not because of his sin or his parents' sin, but this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. It's like, wow, okay. And that, it's this big idea that we're going to come back to later. And so Jesus goes on to say, I'm the light of the world. Why I'm in the world? I am the light of the world. And so they're basically talking about this guy while he sits there. And I just wonder if that guy's going, uh, guys, I'm not deaf. I'm blind. It's not like I can hear you. 
You're right there. And so Jesus, he spits on the ground and he makes mud with saliva and he spreads the mud on the guy's eyes. Now, I think sometimes we're guilty of reading the Bible as like this sterile textbook. And you'll hear me say that from time to time because I think we read it that way. It's like, oh, he spit on the ground, made mud on his eyes. Like, we, don't be honest. Don't you, when you read out loud, sometimes it's in that monotone, like Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. But the thing is, this is a real person and this really happened. And so just imagine, put yourself in his shoes that he hears these guys talking about them and he hears someone spit and then all of a sudden it's like, dude, come on! That's not cool. Like, it's not bad enough that I'm blind sitting by the side of the road. You got to like wipe mud. Like, that's messed up, man. Like, that, what, that's, what must that have felt like? That's crazy. He wipes this mud on his eyes, which apparently is crazier to me than any of you. So that means you're fair game. We can wipe mud on your eyes. You're like, no, I fully expected that. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> and then he tells this guy, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. The guy just got mud smeared on his face. And this guy tells him, go wash yourself in this pool that's not like it's next door. He's got to find some way to get there. So that's at the point where he's like, leave me alone. I can't, like, that's messed up that you would do this. I can't, that it's like, a, like my life's not hard enough. You got to pick on me this way, right? That's, I think that's reasonable that we might think that. But what he does is he gets up and he washed and he comes back seeing. I mean, that's unbelievable, why would he go? I don't know why, but he did. And in that, in that act, we see the seeds of faith that he was willing to respond to what Jesus had told him. And he comes back seeing, and remember, he has never seen at any point in his life. He's seeing stuff left and right. Like, oh, that's a tree? That's a tree. Everybody look at the trees. They're trees. He's never seen anything. I, I, if that's me, I imagine I'm just doing this at my hand for like an hour. Like, look how that works together. He's never seen before. And his friends and his neighbors are just, their minds are blown. They, they can't believe it. They're like, wait, is that, is that blind Steve? And they're like, it looks like blind Steve, but it can't be blind Steve because he can see now. But like, I think that's blind Steve. It looks like blind Steve. It's like, well, what are we going to call him now? He can see. They're arguing amongst themselves. Like someone's like, yeah, that's him. No, it just looks like him. And he's saying like, that's me, guys. It's me. They ask him what happened, and he walks them through it. I, this man, they called Jesus. He made mud, and he, he let off the, the spit part. And he spread it over my eyes. He said, go wash yourself, and now I can see. And then they take him to the Pharisees or the religious leaders, and they ask him similar questions. They, again, and he says it again. I, he made mud. He put it on my eyes, and I can see. And now they start to argue amongst themselves. Well, this, this guy can't be from God because he worked on the Sabbath. He worked on, on the day of rest, and that's, I mean, we so want to look at the Pharisees judgy sometimes, but that's so us. Like we lose the forest for the trees. It's like sitting there, it's like, uh, I, enough with the seeing part, but he worked on Sunday or Saturday and the Sabbath. He worked on Saturday. It's like, do you miss the part where he, he like, he, he gave this guy sight? Enough with the sight giving thing. It was on a Saturday. And so they're arguing amongst, them, amongst themselves and they have a hard, such a hard time believing this. They call for the man's parents. They, they bring his parents in like this is some 35-year conspiracy to, to pretend their son was blind. Like, it, that was not thought through, right? It's like, what are they going to say? Yes, you're right. He's totally can see. We really still feel like working. He's been panhandling, raising, supporting the family. Like, what are they going to say? But they're afraid of the Pharisees, actually. So, so they say, ask him. He's old enough to tell you. I, I, don't ask us. They don't want to be kicked out of the community. They don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. And so the Pharisees ask 
again. And the man again says, all right, I'll walk you through it again. And they say, well, he must be a sinner. He can't be from God if, if he would have done this. And I love the guy's response in verse 25. He says, I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. I was blind and now I can see. And then he gets a little snarky, which he's a little like sarcastic, which I can understand because they keep asking him to tell this story. And he's like, for the eighth time, it's the same thing. And so he says, I told you once, did, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you guys want to be Jesus' disciples too? Like I could arrange this meeting. You guys could totally talk with him. And they're super offended by that. And he goes his own way. And I love this story. I love this story. Because there's such power in the simplicity of this guy's message. There's such power in what he says. And we're going to look at three things that apply to us when we think about how do we share Jesus with others that, that, that come out of this guy's experience. And the first is this. If we want to share Jesus with, with others, we need to first live for Jesus. We need to first live for Jesus. And I know that sounds like, well, sure. I mean, obviously, aren't we assuming that? But we have to start there. The man was changed, right? But he lived differently. He didn't go back to begging on the side of the road. He didn't blindfold himself and walk around like he, was, he couldn't see anymore. He lived differently. It wouldn't have made sense for him to go back to that old lifestyle. It wouldn't have made sense at all. He was changed, and so he lived differently. And what we get here is this picture of blindness, not just physical blindness, but spiritual blindness, in fact, Jesus says at the end of John 9, he says, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. I mean, what Jesus is saying there is we all fall short of the standard God has set and we can't meet that on our own. We can't get there on our own. We don't know the path to take. We'll never be able to figure that out. We're blind that way. But Jesus entered the world to, to give sight to those who are blind and to hold accountable those that say, no, 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 I can see, I got this thing covered, and to point out to them that they are actually blind. That when we think we can do life on our own, that when we think we have it figured out, that when we think we can dot every I and cross every T, we are actually blind. We're deluded into this false sense of, of knowledge that we can figure out life on our own. Jesus came to point that out. He came to address this, this idea of spiritual blindness. I love how it, the book of Jonah talks about it. When God's heart is broken for the city of Nineveh, he says they can't tell their left hand from their right. Like that's what it's like when we don't know Jesus. We cannot figure life out. We are missing a key ingredient to, to experience life the way we were intended to, to, to know it, and that's Jesus. And so it starts with living for Jesus. I mean, that's where sharing starts because it needs to be true for us before it can be true for others. It needs to be true for us before it can be true for others. It doesn't matter what we say if our lives don't back that up. Talk is cheap, right? We hear that said. It, our lives need to show what we believe is true. If I, if I say if I, with a group of friends, I'm like, no, no, I'm totally committed to working out and, 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 going and eating healthy and, eat, and eating, being on this diet together, and they come over to my house one night and find me stuffing my face with a cake, they're going to have reasonable questions about my commitment to the plan. I think that, that would be fair. It's like, you've said all the right things, but you got like some chocolate icing right here and here and here. 
It's all over. You're a mess. Martin Luther talks about it this way. I love this quote. I like good quotes, like, and I love this quote. He says, if he have faith, the believer cannot be restrained. He betrays himself. He breaks out. He confesses and teaches the gospel to people at the risk of, his, at the risk of life itself. What he's saying is when we know Jesus, we can't help but be so overwhelmed by who he is and what he's done. It just pours out of us. We can't help it. We couldn't hide it if we wanted to. I love, I love that idea. But what does that look like practically in our lives? Well, let me give you an example. Harold Kuntz is a sports writer in Oklahoma City. He's also a diehard, lifelong Eagles fan. And he was live on air when the Super Bowl ended. He didn't know. He knew the Eagles were up, but he didn't get to watch the game. They were literally on the air doing the news. And the voice you're going to hear is his producers talking in his ear. So let's take a look at Harold. This is News on Everybody, Zip Sports with Harold Coons. And white dude. Okay, late break. Here they won! Yes! They won it! They won it! Yes! Stand by four men. <laughs> and dissolve enemy. <laughs> Can we do the sports now? Animate. We gotta go. We gotta go. Ready to win. Roll A. Take. <laughs> Come on, Harold. Okay. Pull it together. Get to the bug. Come on, Harold. Do we need to go to break? Can we, do we need to go to break? I mean... Stand by the break. Stand by the break. And fade it. Roll your break. Roll your break. Good grief, Harold. It never gets old. I've seen it like 20 times. It never gets old. And as a, as a lifelong diehard Eagles fan, I know how he feels. It was unbelievable. And he just freaks out and he like drops his notes and he's like sobbing hysterically. And they're talking like, Harold, get it together. He's like, ah, I don't know what to do. I love it. But what I love even more is his coworkers' response to him. Check this out. We need, we need a camera too. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was unprofessional. show. <laughs> but I'm very happy right now. In about 30 seconds, I'm going to yell very loudly. I've known this guy for yeah. seven or eight years. And it, this has been a long time coming, folks. It's been yeah. a very long time Huge coming. Huge Eagles fan. <laughs> Huge Eagles fan. I didn't have a dog in the fight, but seeing your uh, reaction makes me have a dog in the fight. I am so happy. We commend you, We love you. We are so happy. I love what she said. I didn't have a dog in this fight, but watching you made me feel like I had a dog in the fight. What she's saying is, I don't care. I don't really care about the Eagles, but you care so much and so genuinely and so authentically, you have made me care too. You've made me take interest in something that I'm not interested in otherwise because you are so real and so passionate about it. That kind of thing cannot help but rub off on other people. It made them care about something they wouldn't normally care about. That's what it means to live for Jesus, to let this be so true of us that it spills outward in all areas of our lives in such a real and authentic way that people can't help but be compelled by it. It's about being a satisfied customer and not a salesman. Right, we're suspicious of salesmen. It's like, what do you get out of this? What's your commission? I feel like we should, you know, well, I want to know up front. Like, I'm not sure about this. Because they, they have an agenda in there, but a satisfied customer is going, I get nothing from this. I have just seen it be awesome in my life. I want you to have a KitchenAid as well. 
for the one time a year you're going to use a KitchenAid. You're not using that bread hook. Don't pretend. Don't pretend. <laughs> but it does look really good sitting on the countertop. I agree. I agree. What we're asked to do, what God calls us to do is live a unified life, not a separate life. Not a, I come and do religious things on Sunday and then I live my life during the week. Because when we do that, people in our lives, are, in our sphere, look at us and go, I hear what you say, but your life doesn't match up. I hear what you say, but you live the same as I do. Now, that doesn't mean the goal is to be perfect and never mess up, but it means to allow the truth of Jesus to be so central to who we are that we can't help but live that out in a way that people see and find compelling. They go, there's something different. There's something different about you. It starts with living for Jesus. The second thing is share your Jesus story. Share your Jesus story. And I know it sounds like I'm using part of the word to define the word, and that's not cool. But here's what I mean by that. The man told his story over and over and over and over again. He just kept saying it because people kept asking him. He kept saying that. Listen, here's what happened. Here's what Jesus did in my life. I love that verse. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. It's like, guys, I don't know if you're with me here, but this morning I couldn't see anything. Similar to yesterday and the day before that and every other day of my life. And now I'm spotting stuff like I'm a superhero. That's incredible. He just goes back to tell his story over and over again. He's got a but now moment. I was blind, but now I see. And as followers of Jesus, we all have a but now moment. What's yours? Is it I used to be fearful, but now? I don't have to be. Is it I used to be insecure, but now? I know God loves me. Is it I used to feel unloved, but now? I know what it means to be a child of God. What's your but now moment? The hope of Jesus is we are pulled out of where we have been and we are changed and transformed and we can point back to that and say, because of Jesus, I am different. I used to be this, but now I'm different. To share your story, you gotta have the right story to share. And so my question for you is, is his story your story? What story are you telling? Are you telling Jesus' story? Are you telling your own? And I don't mean like I can't be involved in that at all, but sometimes when we think about it, right, it's like, well, I'm going to talk about my life or how I've matured personally or this epiphany I experienced. But what we're talking about here with your Jesus story is how did Jesus, the Son of God, change your life? Because, folks, if we tell people a story where we figured it out, that's not encouraging for others. That's discouraging because now we make it seem like we're just fundamentally better people and we figured these things out. And I, I, I reached some deeper knowledge in myself and accomplished things that the normal person can't. But if we say, I don't know what I'm doing, but Jesus changed me. If we say, I struggled with anger my whole life, and yet when I gave my life to Jesus, he worked on those areas, and my heart is different now. It doesn't mean I'm perfect, but man, I, I feel different inside. We give people hope to say nothing is too big, nothing is too far gone, nothing is too unfixable. It's not that the man can see that's so compelling. I mean, that's pretty compelling, let's not get crazy. But it's not just that he can see it's how the man can see that's really compelling. Because they can, other people can know this Jesus too. 
the second most powerful and impactful story you have to share is your own. Think about when you've heard someone talk about their, their faith journey. That is so encouraging. Your story is compelling for people. Sometimes it's like, well, I, I wasn't a... a uh, you know, I wasn't a drug addict who, who murdered people and then came to Jesus. And it's like, listen, if that is your story, that's a powerful story of how Jesus worked. But any life being changed is a powerful story because we resonate with those things in our hearts that we can't fix on our own, the, the, that poison that lies in our soul. Like we, we connect with other people when they say that. I don't need to hear some unbelievable story to be moved. Hearing a dad say, I don't want to be patient at the end of the day, but here's how Jesus has worked in me. That lands with me. I get that. And this, this is an important note here. It's not that we are supposed to share about Jesus, all right? I don't like should. I don't know about you. I don't like obligation. I'm not the biggest fan of rules. Like, I don't like being told what I have to do. It's not that we're supposed to share about Jesus, folks. It's that we get to share about Jesus. We get to say to other starving people, I too was starving and I know where to find food. We get to bring a message of hope that people desperately need, that every person ever in creation and humanity ever needs. We get to share that with people. God doesn't need us, but he lets us do that. We get to share about Jesus. Man, that's powerful. Somebody said that to me this week. I'm going to give her a shout out. My mom said that to me this week, and it was like, whoa, whoa. I've been thinking about that for the last five days. Because that changes the way I look at everything. If it's not that I have to, but I get to. I get to talk about how Jesus has worked in my life, how I am different, how he has changed me, how he loves me so much that he's refining me and making me new. That's a powerful story. The last thing we do when we talk about how do I share, we, we live for Jesus, we share a Jesus story. The last thing is point to Jesus. Because if the second most powerful and impactful story you have to share is your own, then the most powerful and impactful story you have to share is Jesus' story, is the gospel. Live your life with people. Share your story with people. But most of all, point people to Jesus. Because where we fall short, where we fail, where our effort is not enough, Jesus is more than enough. God's story, Jesus' story, they're incredibly powerful. I can't fully explain how, but God works through his story. Isaiah 55 said God's word will not return to him without accomplishing its purpose in the hearts of his people. It's saying that God's word will work in people's lives. I don't fully, can't fully explain how, but it does. God uses that. It's why we dig into the Bible every week here at the Ridge. It's why we're doing the, the Ridge Reading Challenge. We believe God's word. We believe the Bible is powerful because Worst case scenario, I mean, we're committed to this because worst case scenario, if I do a terrible job, if the lights go out, if the drums catch on fire, if I throw up all over the front row, and I had shellfish last night, so. There is power in the gospel being shared. On mornings when I come up here and go, man, I just feel inadequate, or I don't feel good enough, or man, I, I struggle with with this is too big for me, or man, I just don't feel like I did my best. The promise that I claim is that, God, it is your word that is powerful, not me. Frankly, my goal in preaching is to get out of the way as much as possible. God's word is powerful. So what gets in the way of us pointing people to Jesus? What gets in the way of doing this? I think fear is a big thing. 
We fear what people will think. We fear how we'll be received. We fear what it'll mean for our relationships. And as an aside, I think sometimes, folks, we have a very low opinion of other people. We don't mean to, but I think we do. We, we, we feel like if we share about the things that matter to us, if we, if we talk about faith, if we'll alienate our friends, we'll, we'll push them away, we'll make them uncomfortable. And when we do that, we're acting like they can't be trusted to handle the truth of who we are. I would say if you've been in a position to hear something about someone else that you disagreed with, but you handled it well, why would you not believe that someone else is able to do that too? Particularly if they see it real in your life. But other things that get in the way are our ability, right? We're like, well, I, I don't know how to do that. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm going to be good at it. Like, I, I, I don't even know where to start. Or maybe it's knowledge, and you're like, I don't know enough. What if people have questions I can't answer? Let me tell you this up front. You will, you will absolutely get questions you can't answer, and um, so do I. Like, many times, like, man, I don't know. That's a good question. You should ask Jerry that. You're absolutely going to get questions. You know why? Because God is this infinite cosmic being. I can't explain everything. That's okay. That's okay. That's what the blind man kept coming back to. I don't know, but I, I, I can point to the one who does. I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. So what's our role in that process? I can sum it up in two words. Be faithful. It's to be faithful. The man didn't know everything. He just knew that Jesus changed him. And I think that gives us this idea that it's not about how much you know, it's about who you know. It's not about how much you know, it's about who you know. Know Jesus. Sometimes people know a lot about Jesus without actually knowing Jesus personally. So be faithful. What does that look like? I read this this week, I, I loved it. Being an extrovert isn't essential to evangelism. Obedience and love are. Being an extrovert is not a requirement. It's not essential to evangelism, but obedience and love are. We're not called to change people's minds. We're not called to change people's hearts. We are called to be faithful. Called to be faithful. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit's role, to change hearts. That's what Adam talked about last week, that the Holy Spirit works in us and, and convicts us of sin and convinces us of truth. Our job is to be faithful, to be willing to be used, to take risks, to invite people to know the same hope that we do. As followers of Jesus, we should think of ourselves as matchmakers. We're the human version of eHarmony. All right, if, if as followers of Jesus, if, if life is fiddler on the roof, we're all yenta. All right, for the three people that laughed, that was for you. I had to look that up. I felt like if I did a sports analogy earlier, I should throw bones to people who don't love sports, so... That's why I had to look at the name, because I forgot. <laughs> we're, we're matchmakers. You can't make people fall in love. All you can do is introduce them. You can't own someone else's relationship with Jesus. It's theirs. It's not yours. But you can be faithful. Reach out to others. Look for opportunities. All right? And you will never hear me say that's, that's not without risks. It, it is. It does have risks. In this story, we see because this man kept talking about pointing to Jesus, he was kicked out of his community for it. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the reward far outweighed the, ris the risks for him. I guarantee you. I guarantee you he doesn't regret a moment of that. 
that understanding what it means to be known and loved by Jesus was worth anything else he'd have to give up. I read this quote this week, and I loved it at first. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I read that, and I loved it. And then I hated it. And now we've come to a sort of uneasy truce. I mean, I love it because I, it's like, that's perfect for Twitter, right? That looks great. Uh, I make that little, I put that over like a nice mountain background, share that on Instagram, like that looks great. But I started to hate it because I realized that's talking about me. That I don't get to just coast through. I don't get to just take care of me. I don't get to check the box and go, I'm good. That I'm either a missionary living out the reality of Jesus in my life in all ways so that it just pours out of me or I'm an imposter. It's a hard truth to wrestle through. Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. How could I do any different? Folks, we can't know Jesus, be changed by Jesus, experience the hope of Jesus, and not share that with others. We just can't. Imagine everyone in your life is, is, a, is this village, right? You're this village, and everyone in the village is dying of this un incurable disease. There's nothing anyone can do. And you're out walking one day and you stumble across this berry patch. And because you're curious like a cat, you take a handful and you shove them in and you're instantly cured. You can feel it. You are different. What's the first thing you do? What's the first thing you do? Tell everyone you know. Everyone you know, and not just the people that you love, though you definitely want them to know. You want everybody to know because you can't stomach the thought of someone dying when you could, all they got to do is eat the berry. I don't care how, throw it in their mouth, drop it in at night, mix it up in their, in their cereal, surprise them with it. Even get somebody to sit on them and shove it in there because you're going, this is life and death. I want you to know this hope. This is life and death. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is the line between life and death. If we really believed it was that important, why wouldn't we tell others? Why wouldn't we? Brooke was friends with uh, this young man, and uh, they, they, as they were hanging out, as they became better friends, she realized he didn't go to church. He didn't know who Jesus was, and so she invited him to come one night. And after he came, she began to be intentional about having spiritual conversations with him, asking questions. What did he think about the message? You know, what was he wrestling through? Giving him opportunity to, to journey with Jesus, to figure out kind of what this stuff meant. But she would be purposeful. Over the next couple months, she was purposeful about giving him a space to engage in spiritual issues. She didn't force him, but she also didn't avoid it. She actively engaged that opportunity. And then one night, she just feels this nudge. She feels God prompting her to say, call him, ask him if he understands what it means to know Jesus. Ask him what's keeping him from doing that. And so she does. And God has worked in this guy's heart to the point where he's like, I, I want to know what you know. I want to have what you have. And at that point, Brooke goes, I don't know what to do next. So she Googled salvation prayer. And they pray. And he gives his life to Jesus. And she says, she says afterwards, he was one of the kindest people that I knew, but I saw him different. God changed him. God worked in him. I love that story. I love that story because Brooke knew her friend needed Jesus. She knew it was important. She knew he needed Jesus when he didn't. 
I love that she didn't, pers- she didn't take steps of faith knowing how to do it. She's like, I know this is important. I'm not even sure I know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna do it because I know I should because I want to because I get to share with him about the hope that I have. Like, I love that she's so committed to it. She's like, Google salvation prayer. I don't know. Folks, if you need a better example of you don't have to know everything, just point people to Jesus. I'm not sure I have one. So, it's a powerful picture for us. Our friend was baptized here last year. That can be true of your friend, of your spouse, of your coworker. Folks, the most deeply significant part of the story is not just that Jesus fixed his eyes and gave him sight. It's that Jesus fixed his eternity and gave him salvation. That's what it looks like when we share about who Jesus is. It's not that we are supposed to share about Jesus. It's that we get to share about Jesus. And I wish I could give you do these three things, but it's not that simple. It's going to look different based on your relationships and your, and your friendships. It's going to look different. Maybe it's going to look like Liz and you read the Bible with your friend over Skype so that she can ask questions and, and engage in it and hear, do it with someone else who's willing to do it. Or maybe it's going to be like Brian and you're going to walk with your friend as their life goes down the tubes and they, and they go off the deep end because you want someone to be in their life that can point them towards hope when, when they stop running away. Maybe it's like Marvin, who even though you get picked on and bullied by Mike and, and he's out to make your life miserable, that you say, I'm going to respond differently because I want to be able to, when you finally ask me what's up with me, I can point you to Jesus. You don't have to know everything. All you have to know is Jesus. Lots of things can get in the way. Lots of things can trip us up. But knowing Jesus is so much greater than all of those, that stuff. If you're here this morning and you're not maybe convinced of this yet, I hope what you hear me saying is that you're not a project. You're not a number. But you are in a group of people who are so aware of how broken we are and how grateful we are that Jesus has rescued us that we want you to know that hope too. That's what we want for you. So we need to take a minute and pull out your your insert, your program. You'll see at the bottom, there's a little tearaway sheet that says, my one. What I want you to do is take a moment and think, who's someone God has put in your life that you care about, that you want to be purposeful with? Who's someone that does not yet know Jesus that you want to? Write that name on that card and tear that off and keep that in your pocket. And when you see it, pray for them. Ask God to give you opportunities to talk with them. Ask God to give you the words to say. Ask God for whatever a reasonable next step is. Is it asking about their, you know, did you grow up going to church? Is it, is it asking them questions like, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Maybe it's volunteering about you and saying, hey, I go to the ridge. It, it, whatever it looks like for you, what's that reasonable first step? What would it look like a year from now? if God moved in their life.